looking in the um, the book of Numbers this morning. Looking at uh, something that, that Moses did with the Israelites and we're kind of in the middle of a series here at Church on the Rock that I started a couple weeks ago, uh, basically entitled, You're My Healer, and talking about how, what the Bible has to say about sickness, what the Bible has to say about healing, and all of that, that kind of stuff. And so last, a couple weeks ago, we started off with looking at the idea of what the Bible has to say about uh, the curse of the law in, in particular. Uh, and, and that, you know, what ends up happening, and I think it's in Numbers chapter 28, there's this whole, uh, you know, conversation that happens with God and the Israelites, and he tells them uh, the first 14 verses are all the blessings that if you do the right stuff, and then the last, like, 56 verses are, like, all the curses that will happen to you because of the curse of the law and all this kind of stuff. And so we really kind of looked at, you know, uh, the origin of sickness and kind of God's viewpoint on sickness and disease and, 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 and those kinds of things, that, that particular perspective and, and, and how, you know, we know that Jesus became a curse in Galatians it tells us that he became a curse so that we don't have to live under the curse of the law anymore. And so all of these things that we find in Numbers chapter 28 that talks about the curse of the law and it talks about the pestilence and the boils and the fever and the disease and, and all of these things that will come upon you when you disobey God and, and, and all those kinds of things. The Bible says that we don't have to live under the curse of the law anymore because Jesus became a curse because scripture says that curses everyone who hangs on a tree. So he became the curse for us and he broke us. Now we're not, we're not free from the curse of sin Okay, which we find in, uh, in Genesis, the early part of Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, and then God says, hey, you're going to toil and you're going to work, and there's going to be pain in childbirth, and there's going to be all those kinds of things. We don't become free from the curse of sin, but God does free from the curse of the law. And it's a big difference. And then last week we were looking at the blessings of Abraham and what the blessings of Abraham are, how that is applicable for us today. And the Bible says that as believers, we become children of Abraham, okay, co-heirs to the promise. And what does that look for us? What does that look like for us? And how, how do we have to understand and relate the covenant relationship that we have with God? And, and looking at several stories in the Bible, including David, just real quick, just David, when he stood before Goliath and he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Well, I, I don't understand. I guess for a long time I never understood why circumcision was brought into this situation. Well, you got to bring up the fact that the dude's uncircumcised, all right? But the reason why he did that was because circumcision was the sign of the covenant relationship with God. And so what David was saying is that this dude had no covenant relationship with God, and we did. Why are we letting him taunt him us? Why are we letting him push us around? Why are we letting this guy who doesn't have a covenant relationship with God, who doesn't have the blessing of Abraham, why are we letting him tell us what we're going to do? All right, and because he understood the covenant. Of course, we know that he stepped out there. And, and, and he was able to defeat this great enemy because of his faith in the covenant relationship he had with God. All right. So today, before we get into numbers, I want to read something to you out of chapter, uh, John chapter 3. We are generally well aware with John chapter 3 verse 16. 
At least most people that I know know this verse, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. All right, you got it. If you go back two verses before that, though, I want to I show you this because these probably aren't as well known. Two verses before that says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And it goes, for God so loved the world. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Have you ever read that and thought, when did Moses lift up a serpent in the wilderness? Did you ever, have you ever gone back to kind of read that story of when Moses lifted up the serpent? And what is Jesus talking about when he's talking about Moses lifting up this serpent? What is he talking about here? Because he's saying, you know, when we get this idea like, oh, you know, Moses lifted up the serpent. Jesus is going to be lifted up. He's going to hang on a cross. Okay, yeah, I get it. All right. But there is, there's an implication that Jesus is talking about here. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go back. Numbers chapter, uh, chapter 21, starting at verse 4, it says right here, it says, Then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient because of the journey. And the people spoke against God and Moses why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and water, and we loathe this miserable food. Okay? This is, I don't know, gosh, I mean, if we all had a dollar for every time the Israelites said, did you bring us out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? I mean, we would all have like, say, 20 bucks or something. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's like they just kept saying this over and over again. And every time they say it, it brought problems in their life. Every time they said it, it was because they were going through some difficulty, they were going through some trial, there was something happening out there in front of them that they didn't like, and, and here's what they do, just like we all do, we over-exaggerate our situations, we over-exaggerate our pain or whatever, not to mean that your pain is not real pain, all right, but we over-exaggerate it sometimes, it says, for there is no food and water, and we loathe this miserable food. How can there be no food and you actually loathe the food you have? Well, of course there was food, but of course they're going to make it out like, oh, we're, we're going to die out here because God doesn't love us and Moses is a, is a terrible leader and all this kind of stuff. Now, generally speaking, whenever this happened, it did not end well for the Israelites. And here's another moment where, I mean, it ends well, but it's, it, doesn't, it, it gets worse. It goes from bad to worse, like really quick. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that the people of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord, and you intercede for the Lord that he may remove the serpent from us. And, Mo and Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a stand. And it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent so that it, and set it on a stand. And it came about that if a serpent bit a man and he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. All right? And we go back to, to John. It says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so will the Son of Man be lifted up. All right? 
Today I want to talk to you as it relates to our, our health, our healing, or probably any other thing in our life that we have to deal with, especially as it relates to the promises of God, the benefits of God, the blessings of Abraham that we live under a covenant relationship with God. All right? Um, I want to talk to you about what you look at a lot of time is very connected to what you believe. Okay? What you look at is probably not that much different than what you really believe, all right? And so we're going to look at this real quick. You know, the Israelites here, they had, uh, you know, this long history uh, of doing this, going back and forth. God had promised them that he was going to take them to the land that he had promised them, and they didn't believe the word of the Lord. Uh, they didn't stand upon that promise. You remember God told them back in the beginning he was going to give them the promised land. And here they are. They're complaining. They're saying they're going to die. We're not going to overcome these problems. We're not going to overcome this difficulty. We're, we're not going to get past this. They're complaining about all the problems that they have because they think it's the end of them. All right? And they're not standing upon the promise that God gave them. God said that he was going to give them the promised land. All right? And multiple times throughout their journey in the wilderness, they refused to believe the promise of God. And they began to complain about Moses and the Lord. And then we see here, the Bible says that fiery serpents were sent among the people. Now, we talked about this two weeks ago in the Old Testament scripture, how one of the things that we find in the scripture is that we see this little passage, like, for, for, for instance, here's, here's an example. It says, the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And we're thinking, oh. I mean, does this not bother anybody here that God sent fiery serpents among the people? Right? I mean, this is good God. Loving God sends fiery serpents among the people. We find this kind of description in the Bible all throughout the Old Testament. In very little conversation in the Old Testament about the devil, about demons, about any kind of spiritual warfare type stuff in the Old Testament, you don't see it anywhere. And the reason is, is because in this particular day and age, during this particular time, in this dispensation, the people there were very, very superstitious people, and they had a tendency to want to worship any God that they could. So if God started talking about this devil that was bringing destruction and death among them, all this kind of stuff, then it would be very tempting for the Israelites Israelites to want to make sacrifices to the bad God to try to appease him. And what God was trying to do was he was trying to get the Israelites where they focused only on him. Don't worry about anybody else, you worry about me. And so he shoulders a lot of the blame all throughout Old Testament scripture for things that the enemy would do to bring death and destruction among the people. He shoulders it. He says, look, just deal with me. I'll take the blame, but I don't want you worrying about something else. I don't want you worrying about somebody else or another, you know, another being. I want you to worry about me. I want you to deal with me. If there's a problem that you got going on in your life, you come and you deal with me. Which is, again, what happened when these fiery serpents come among the people. These things start happening. What do they do? They go to the Lord and they repent. They go to the Lord and they repent, and then God brings healing to them. This happens all throughout Scripture in the Old Testament, and then when you get into the New Testament, all of a sudden uh, we, we find that Jesus when he starts referring to sickness and disease, he tar starts talking about how 
that these are spirits, some of these things are spiritually influenced. So when you look at some of the things that happened to people's lives where they were sick and something, and the Bible says that in Acts, for example, it says that you know Jesus of Nazareth who walked around all Jerusalem um, um, doing good and healing all of those oppressed by the devil. Okay? It says that he did good and he healed all of those who are oppressed by the devil. So the Bible, it changes, it shifts. And the reason why we see that New Testament shift is because now because of Jesus, we can actually do something about it. Jesus has now put us there with him and we have the authority over the enemy and we have the ability to conquer the enemy. Okay? Back then, they didn't have that, they weren't, they weren't living in that dispensation and God said, I'm going to shoulder the blame. Okay? But here it is right here, this thing, John, when he writes this stuff about lifting up the serpent in the wilderness, he's referring back to the story in Numbers, and when Christ went to the cross, he was treated like a sinner, even in his encounter with Caesar, it was as if he was a criminal himself, and so John is talking about Jesus being lifted up, and that everyone that believes in him will not perish. And likewise, when Moses made the serpent, anyone who looked at the serpent was healed. And what we want to take a look at today and what we're talking about today is the idea that what we look at and what we believe are often the same thing. What we look at and what we believe. You cannot have great, effective faith if you are looking at the wrong thing. You can't. Even in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20, it says this. It says, my son, give attention to my words, incline your ears to my sayings, do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them, and health to all their body. Okay. What is health to all of our body? The word of God. The word of God. It says right here, it says, give attention. That word attend means to uh, pay attention on an ongoing basis. It means to look at on a consistent basis all the time. It's something that you're doing ongoing in your life. That word listen, it says listen to my words, okay? That word listen literally means to not just hear, but to like lean in. Okay, like to lean over to hear. Like this is what he's saying to, to make sure that you're giving your undivided attention to listen to the words that he is speaking. To listen to the words that he has spoken. Doesn't mean just we all hear stuff all the time. We come to church, we go to Bible study, we do all these things. We hear stuff all the time. And a lot of times we hear it and it goes, you know, in one ear and right out the other and it makes no impact or change in our life. But this right here is saying that we've got to give attention to it. We've got to really dial in. We've got to calm down some of that, that ADD tendency inside of us. And lean in and listen to what he's having to say. And then it says, do not let them depart from your sight. And it says that the word of God is health to all of their body. The word of God can bring health to all of their body. You know... What you look at, what you look at in your life 
will direct the course of your life. It will direct where you steer the ship. <clears throat> if you look off to the left, you'll have a tendency to go left. If you look off to the right, you'll have a tendency to go left. You, sometimes you kind of learn this early in driving school, you know, when you're along. And you look over here, it's just a, you know, just that body move, that simple body movement right there moves that steering wheel, okay? Maybe even more so when you're riding a bike and you look back or something like that. It's just easy for the whole body to move and it changes the course of where the, and it doesn't take long, okay? Even a small, okay, even looking off to the left and a small movement to the left, eventually, okay, it's going to eventually take you way off down the road where you're not supposed to be. All right, but what you look at affects where you go. You remember I talked about uh, several weeks ago, I believe, that farmers, they don't go out to a field and say, well, I'm just going to plow straight rows in this field. The goal is not to go out there and plow straight rows to plant their crops. And what they do is they, they, get, it, they, they get their hoe or they get in their machines and they look off and they see like a fence post. And they just drive straight at that fence post. And if they'll drive straight at the fence, they'll make straight lines. Because they got something that they're looking at that helps steer the course of their life. <clears throat> I remember hearing a story one time of a pastor's wife in particular who had been diagnosed with cancer. And uh, after being diagnosed with cancer, she immediately started taking all these sticky notes and, and she started writing down all the scriptures in the Bible that had to deal with healing. And she sticky noted, stick, I don't even, <laughs> not even right, sticky noted. <laughs> she just took a whole bunch of sticky notes and wrote a whole bunch of scripture down and she stuck them everywhere so that everywhere she went, she saw the, she saw the word of God. She saw the word of God. Everywhere she went, she had sticky notes all over her house. That's probably not the best decorations in the world. And people might come over thinking, what's, more, what's going on over here? But she, this was important to her. She understood the word of God. She understood what God's word had to say about it. And she put these sticky notes all over her house, all over. And, and, you know, and, and maybe that had to be all over the house. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you, you probably don't need some on some walls. You just don't ever go. But maybe like on the mirrors and stuff where you're standing in front of the mirror in the morning before you're getting ready. You know, or you want to put some on a ceiling or in your car, somewhere where you're going to see it. And you put it there somewhere where you're going to see it in the kitchen or the cabinets where you're always going to be in there doing stuff. Where, wherever it is that you're going to be doing stuff. She, she had these sticky notes sitting around and it just reminded her about God's word every day and God's word every day. And she was seeing those sticky notes and she was reading them. And sooner or later that word became a part of her spirit. She didn't even need the sticky notes anymore, but they were still there because she could quote it and she could say it. And it was all there. Okay, and after a while, after a while of her just believing and standing, allowing the word of God to remain in front of her sight, she was eventually 100% completely healed of her cancer. And she says, it's talking about how it's the word of God, how the word of God's standing there, and she's allowing it to be put in front of her sight over and over and over again. You know, sometimes we get this idea that faith that faith is some kind of noble quality that, like, you either have it or you don't, right? I mean, that's what sometimes we think about faith. That this, like, well, you know, old little boy David, he had great faith. 
man, I mean, he just had great faith. And we think that sometimes that, that, well, some people have greater faith than others. But the Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't say that some people have greater faith. Matter of fact, the scripture says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So if you want faith, it's all about the word of God. It's not about, you know, who your parents are, you know, where you grew up, how much money you got. It's not about any of those things. And it's not some noble quality that you're either born with it or you, you don't have it, whatever. Those, those kinds of things, that's not, that's, that's, that's not real. All right, we can all grow in our faith, and the way that we grow in our faith is by being attentive to the Word of God, by standing and, and listening and being attentive to God's Word. That's how we grow in faith. The word of God has a powerful effect on your faith. You know, you know, I'm not, I'm not different. I'm not any different than the rest of us here. I, I think that uh, sometimes, uh, over the course of, of years in my life, and just experiencing, you know, sickness, being around sickness, you know, having my own days when, I, when I've been sick, stuff like that. Um, I think sometimes it's just kind of like easier just to kind of like, eh, you know, just live with it, if that makes sense. I think sometimes it's just easier just to live with it. Um, now, it's not easier to live with it if it's something that may be like terminal or something, but a lot of stuff that... Um, Maybe can be medicated or something like that. We're just like, well, I'll just, I'll just take my medication, just kind of be okay with it. And that's, I think, the general mindset that it's easy for us to have. Now, maybe you would never admit it, um, but I think that's the way it is. You know, I think when you look in the scripture and you look back in the gospels, there was no medication back in the gospels. I mean, if you had a problem. This was a real problem. I mean, I say no medication. There was probably very little medication, certainly not what we have today. If you had a problem, it, a lot of times it was life or death. It was life or death. And, uh, and that's why, the reason why these people were so desperate. When they went to Jesus, they were desperate. And then their desperation, it built their faith. And Jesus marveled at many of their faith because they knew that, like, if somebody, you know, had the flu and they had a fever and they couldn't get it to break, man, it's either Jesus or just my, my, you know, my kid, my servant, my family member, they're going to die. And, uh, and it created much more dependency, uh, especially in that time when Jesus was living, when, when they were, when, when they, they, they saw they saw somebody who had power over sickness. They had, saw somebody that had the ability to lay hands on the sick or even just speak the words. And that's what created such a, gener, uh, a, 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 a movement of people. These crowds would flock to Jesus. And certainly it was because he had great wisdom to speak. But it was also because of you know, the supernatural power that he carried with him. But, you know, sometimes we, we, here's the thing, though, here's the, um, 
here, here's the problem is that sometimes this is what happens. We'll, we'll get sick, and the doctor will prescribe something to us, and we will, we will follow the instructions to the T. I mean, especially if he's going to say, hey, you know, you got to, like, lay around for seven days. Right? I'd be like, hey, boss, doctor said I got to lay around for seven days. Be back later. We, we will follow the doctor's orders to the T. Making sure we're taking that medicine on time, doing all that kind of stuff. All right. But why is it that we won't follow God's orders to the T? We'll follow the doctor's orders. Whatever he tells us to do, we will make sure that we do it. But if God's word tells us to do something, we might, we might try it once in church. We might try it for a week, a couple days, and think, ah, this ain't working. Ain't working. Remember how I talked about how uh, while while faith while faith works on the problem, enduring faith works on you. Many times the reason why we don't receive the answer to our prayers the moment that we pray them is because God's building character in you. It doesn't mean the answer ain't coming. It just means that God's not a heavily vending machine that if you push all the right buttons, then pop come down the little thing that you want. This doesn't work that way. So God works on us through enduring faith. We pray for something, and we want God to do it. Sometimes it takes some time. There may be many different reasons why there's, it, it takes time for it to come. We, there could be spiritual reasons why it takes time. We see that in the book of Daniel and how Daniel prayed for something, and there was warfare that was going on in the spirit realm that, that caused the answer not to come in a timely manner. There's all kinds of reasons why the answers don't come, but it doesn't mean that we give up just because we don't want it. We have enduring faith. We stick to God's word. And we say, let God be true and every man a liar. Let my situations be a liar. Let the doctors be a liar. Let everybody around me be a liar. And God's word is going to be true. And if it, it, doesn't even, it doesn't matter if it looks like it's true. It doesn't matter if it feels like it's true. God's word is true. And we stand upon God's word and we believe God's word and we put it out there in front of us so that we can see it every day so we can remind ourselves of what God's word has to say. And then we stand upon that promise and we stand upon that word every day. Sometimes, you know, we, you know, I think that um, there, are, there are two situations in the Bible that people bring up when they talk about sickness. And when somebody starts preaching about healing and stuff, and they start saying, well, you know, are, are there biblical examples of, of God using sickness or God allowing sickness or whatever these kinds of things um, on people or whatever? There's two examples. The first one is probably more obvious than the second, but it's with Job. You read the story of Job, right? All right. This wasn't a story uh, where, you know, Satan came before the Lord, and God said, what are you doing, buddy? And he said, hey, I'm just kind of out wandering around looking, you know, checking people out, you know, just trying to tempt people. And, and God says, you know, have you considered my servant Job? And then Satan's like, oh, well, 
like, eh, if you took all of his riches and his comfort and his blessings away from him, he would curse you. And God's like, okay, I don't believe that, so go ahead, all right? This is one that people try to use to say, well, you know, God will allow this to teach us a lesson, or God will allow this for some, you know, divine reason or whatever. But here's, here's the problem, and while you can't assume that God gave permission to the enemy to do it, and the enemy ended up bringing the one, was the one that brought the destruction and all this kind of stuff upon Job's life, here's the thing that you also have to understand about this particular story. This story only lasted probably a couple months of Job's life. This wasn't a lifetime story. This was a story that probably lasted only several months. And in the end, he was healed of all his diseases, and he was given back twice what he had beforehand. Okay? In the end, he was healed. His sickness did not end in death. He was healed of all his sickness, and he was given back twice what he had beforehand. Because of his faithfulness to the Lord. The other example some people and, and some people will, will talk about and preach about and stuff like this is, is the example of Paul. And the reason why they talk about Paul is that they will make this reference uh, to Paul talking about uh, in one of his epistles. He says that I have this thorn in the flesh and I've asked the Lord to remove it three times. And three times God said, my grace is sufficient for you. And so what happens is, is people have made the assumption that what Paul is talking about is his eyesight, that he can't see very well. And the reason why this is is because there's, there's a couple times, there's, there's, two, uh, there's two reasons. One, there's some people that believe that when, when Paul was blinded all right, on the road to Damascus, that when God healed him, it wasn't a total healing. And so he wasn't able to see very well. There's another time where Paul gets abused and hurt so bad that he actually talks about the bandages and wounds on his face and his eyes. Many people believe that he was damaged so much that he never really gained all of his sight back. And the reason why this is is when they look at Paul's writings in the original manuscript, he has very large writing, almost like he, you know, it's like when you can't see, what do you do? You, like, increase the font on your iPad and your phone so you can see. So they think that because... Uh, Paul wrote really big, he had very, very poor vision, and that this is what was Paul talking about when Paul was saying, you know, I've got this thorn in the flesh, and I've asked God to remove it, and God's saying, no, I'm not going to remove it, for, for my grace is sufficient for you. However, if you go and read the context in which Paul wrote about the thorn in his flesh, he was talking about being persecuted by the non-believers and the believers, that he was saying that there were people that in, the, in, in, the, in every city, every place he went, that there were, they were church people and there were non-church people that were persecuting him and giving him difficulty everywhere he went. And then he goes on talking about this thorn in the flesh and he's asking God to remove it. And God's saying, no, I'm not going to remove this difficulty and this persecution that you're dealing with because my grace is going to be sufficient enough for you. And it really has, no, it has nothing to do with any kind of idea that Paul was half blind or couldn't see very well. People want to make it sound like it is, but as, if you read the context, Paul's actually talking about being persecuted everywhere he goes. 
And so when you look at Jesus and when Jesus was healing people and people were getting healed instantly, we say, well, why did Jesus, when Jesus prayed for people, did they get healed instantly all the time? Well, there's, there's a lot of different things that you need to understand about this. And one of them is, is that, it's, first off, it's, it's Jesus, right? I mean, he's kind of the master of faith. Like, he got it figured out better than all of us do. He did. All right? So there's a lot, I think, that he knew and understands that even we don't understand. Even though he subjected himself to live the same way we have to live, being led by the Father, not doing anything except for what he sees the Father do or what the Father tells him to do. We know that he did that. But he's Jesus. He's still perfect. He's still living his life perfect and under perfect submission, following the Lord. Okay, he's got it figured out. But there were also times in the Scripture where the Bible says that Jesus laid hands on somebody and that they began to recover. The wording there is that they began to recover. What does that mean? That means it didn't happen right there in that moment. It was something that happened over a period of time. If we look in the book of Acts, chapter 3, we see a story here of uh, Peter and John. It says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer, and as a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg for alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter and John, along, Peter along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. All right. Peter and John got his attention and what they told him to do look here look at me give me your attention give me your undivided attention it would be really easy for that man in that moment why because he's there to beg for money to make sure that he didn't allow anybody around him he didn't allow anybody around him to pass by okay without, um, you know, w- without asking them for money. So this guy's probably like, Peter and John, money, money, hey, alms, alms. He's kind of looking around at everybody going by, trying to get somebody. And Peter and John, it's not like they're just going to go by and do something. They say, hey, buddy, look here. Look at me. They got his undivided attention. They got him to look at him. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. And he leaped, and he stood upright, and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All right. It began with a man fixing his eyes where he needed to fix his eyes. Looking at the right thing and giving his attention to the right people. And then they were able to say, look, I don't have money, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to ask you something. 
when did the guy's feet and ankles begin to be strengthened? Before he got up to walk or after he got up to walk? Afterwards, right? And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up and immediately his feet. So what happened first is the guy raises up on his feet, all right? Then he begins to walk. It doesn't, it's not the other way around. It's not that his feet and his legs get healed and then he's like, oh, I think I can stand and walk now. No, they raise him up to his feet before the healing even took place. This is significant, right? This is significant. Why? Because this was an act of faith, him allowing them to pull him up. He could be like, no, 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 don't pull me up, don't pull me up. Him allowing them to pull him up to that position, okay, was a sign that he had faith in what the disciples had just proclaimed over his life. Even though he had no strength in his legs, even though his legs were not healed at that particular moment, he allowed them to pull him to his feet. And in allowing him to do that, okay, he got healed in that moment. A lot of times when you look in the scripture, the Bible will say this, and even Jesus, every time when Jesus healed people, Jesus would say this to the person, he says, your faith has made you well. That means that there was something that they were doing, okay, that displayed faith. Something that they were doing that displayed faith. They put them in a position to receive what Jesus had to receive, all right? And, 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 and that is a lot... Knowing the reputation of God, knowing what God's word has to say, all of these things put faith inside of us so that we can receive what God has for us. In James chapter 1, verse 22, it says this, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers only and delude them. Uh, I'm sorry, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, is um, not having become a, forget, a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he does. This man will be blessed in what he does. All right? That you become a doer of God's word. All right? So what does that look like for you? What does that look like for you when you talk about being a doer of God's word, all right? So when God's word talks about healing in particular, that like, for example, in, in, um, in Psalms where it says, you know, bless the Lord on my soul and forget not his benefits, who heals, I mean, who forgives all of your sins and heals all of your diseases. So one of the benefits of being a believer, okay, one of the benefits of being a follower of Jesus is that the Bible says that he heals all of our diseases. So how do you become a doer of God's word in that promise? How do you become a doer of God's word in that particular area? This is exactly what it's talking about right here, that we become doers of what it is that God is telling us to do. All right, so in this area, when the Bible says that we have healing, then what does that look like for you to do? And almost in every situation, it might be different. 
I don't know if you've ever heard of a guy by the name of Kenneth Hagin, uh, for example. And this is an incredible story, but when he was a young, a, a young boy, he had a disease that actually crippled him. And he was laying in bed, and he would look out his window every day and watch kids run outside and play and everything. And every day he asked God, why? Why, why me? Why do I have this? Why do I have this thing? And he's reading the word of God, and he sees how God's healing all these people, and Jesus healing all these people. And he's like, God, I've asked you to heal me. How come you haven't healed me? And he said one day he read the verse where Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he says, um, he says, have faith in God. He says, if you say that mountain, be thou cast in the sea, and do not doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say it will be done for you. For whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Okay. Now, he said, it, he said, all of a sudden one day I realized the tense in which the word of God was talking. It doesn't say, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you will receive it. It says, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it. And it will be yours. That you got to believe that you have received it before you actually receive it. That's what faith is. Faith is substance of things hoped for in Hebrews 11. Faith is substance of things hoped for and evidence of things not seen. That you believe that you receive it before you receive it. He said, laying there on that bed for years, it dawned on me that I just needed to act like I was healed. I needed to do, I needed to, what I needed to do is I needed to do what I felt like I would do if I was healed. So he said, I sat there and I said, I thank you God for healing me. I thank you God for healing me. And he pulled his feet out of bed and he stepped up and from that day forward he was healed from his disease that he ever had. He walked, never had another problem a day of his life. He believed he received it before he received it, right? It's the same thing here. This guy who was lifted up by Peter and John, he had faith to believe, to let him rise him up. They rose up, okay, he rose up, then he was healed. <clears throat> Jesus said it all the time to people when he was praying for them. Your faith has made you well, talking about them, the something he's doing. Remember the centurion, just say the word. Just say the word and it'll be done. I'm a man who's under authority. I know. Just say the word and it'll be done. That right there, man, is being a doer. You understand the authority of God. Okay, even the, the lady begging for the, the crumbs, okay, off the table, saying, you know, I, look, man, just give me whatever you got. I know that all of this is faith and action. They're going for them. They're, they're pleading, and they know just a little bit of touch of God, all this kind of stuff. You see it all throughout the Bible. The one with the issue of blood who, the blood who pressed through the crowd said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, if I could just touch it. She's being a doer of the word. Somewhere along the way, God had deposited a word inside of her spirit that said, if I can just touch his hem, I'll be healed. And then she had to go do it. She had to push through the crowds where she wasn't supposed to be because she was an unclean person. And every person she was touching moved through the crowds that she was making them unclean too. And then they were going to have to go through the ceremonial washing and all this kind of stuff. But she didn't care about that. She pushed through anyways and she reached out and touched his hem. And that moment, that act of faith, that being a doer of the word that was spoken inside of her spirit, it healed her in that moment. And Jesus didn't even have to do anything. Jesus didn't say anything to her. He didn't reach around. He didn't touch her. He didn't do anything. 
You see, God's word is like a mirror. And when you look at it, it will show you the way God sees you in his perfect law of liberty. It's like a mirror. The word of God is. Except for the fact that it's not going to show you you. It's going to show you the way God sees you in every aspect. In all your failures and your faults and your problems and your difficulties you have in your life, God, God shows you somebody else. And all the shortcomings and the, and the pain and the struggle that you've dealt with in your life, God shows somebody who's healed, who's, who's, who's whole, who's, who's vibrant, who's healthy, who's, who's able to walk in, in victory. That's what God's word does. It shows us who God sees us to be. And when we look at it, it has a great impact on our lives. I think there's a great um, example of this in, uh, in the Old Testament with Gideon. And uh, I think it's a phenomenal story when you look at Gideon where the angel of the Lord shows up, which basically is it's just another way of saying that God shows up to Gideon and says, Hey, mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, oh, you're talking about, man. I'm like, I'm the weakest person in my clan. My, I mean, my family. My family is the weakest person in my clan. And my clan's the weakest person, weakest clan in the tribe. Like, I'm in the lowest of the lows. And God looks at Gideon and says, you're a mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, what? Who are you talking to? And God keeps saying this word of God is deposited inside of him. And this man okay, who thought he was the lowest of the low rises up to deliver a nation from the hands of captivity because of what God's spoken into this man's life. Because of what God saw in him. And a lot of times what we see in us is not what God sees in us, but we're walking around believing about ourselves what we see in us. Because we're not allowing ourselves to fix our eyes on the word of God and what God's word has to say about us and our life and the victory and the blessings and the favor we should be walking in. It doesn't mean everything's going to go perfect in your life. It doesn't mean that everything's just going to be, you know, frolicking in a field of daisies. It don't mean that by any stretch of the imagination. We know that's not true. And if you've lived longer than a week, you know it's not true. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be trials. There's going to be things that are outside of your control. And there may be moments in your life where sickness comes upon you and the enemy tries to attack you in some area. You're not immune to that. But you could still stand upon the promise of God. You could still take God's word and says that I know that God says in his word that he bore my sicknesses and carried my diseases. And by his stripes, I was healed. I know that one of his benefits of being a child of the father, of the king of kings, is that he all of my diseases. I know one of his names that talks about his character. It's Jehovah Rapha, my God, my physician, my healer. And you stand upon it even when the enemy comes at you, even when something doesn't go you, you stand upon his word and you fix your eyes on what it is that he's placed there and you allow his word to be deposited in your spirit and you don't allow yourself to be persuaded any other way. You look at the right thing. Look at the right thing, because what you look at oftentimes is greatly associated with what you believe. You're looking at your disease and all your problems and stuff, then, then you believe that it's bigger than God. You believe your problems are bigger than God. You think all these things are bigger than God, because that's all you're looking at. You're looking at these things. Rob, if you'll come.
Gideon starts by tearing down the idols of Baal. It's funny because the first thing that God tells him to do, he, he goes to tear down the idols that were made to Baal, and he goes and he does it at nighttime so nobody can see him because he's so scared. And the story ends by him leading an army of 300 people in battle to defeat an army of 135,000. It, in one moment of his life, he, he didn't even believe God's word about himself. And he was so scared of what people thought about himself that he had to sneak around in the night to do the things that God told him to do. And by the end of the story, by the time God was through with him, because he had let God work on him, okay, he led an army of 300 people against 135,000 people. And he won. Come on, man. You think, you think your obstacles are that big? Try taking 300 people into battle against 135,000. And in that moment, it's life or death. You're thinking, we're all dying. It's just 301 of us. Because that, come on. One of the greatest distractions and deterrents from seeing God's word be effective in our lives is disappointment. Disappointment. You ever been disappointed before? Man, it, uh, <clears throat> it has a way of really affecting the spirit, the soul of man, being disappointed. Whatever that may be, you know, we all have, and we all have our own story, right? We all have our own story. So many things that have happened to us in our life, so many things that we've seen, so many good things we've experienced and so many bad. There's a lot of questions that we don't have answers for. I have a good friend of mine who, you know, um, whose oldest son Gosh, I, I don't know, it's been such a long time ago, but I want to say at the age of eight or nine, got a tumor on his brain stem, and they prayed and prayed and prayed, prayed and prayed. And he was never healed. He died a couple years. I got another friend of mine who also lost a daughter at a very young age, just a tragic, tragic event. There's a lot of... A lot of questions when we read God's word and then we hear some of these stories and we're like, I just don't, I don't understand why these disappointments, these things that we experience in life, they have a way of rocking the boat. They have a way of affecting us. It can, it can be like a sickness of the heart is what it can be, a sickness in the heart. It can erode away even some of the most basic and most necessary beliefs for a life of faith. These disappointments, these trials, these, these things that we faced can, can erode away even some of those basic needs that we have for faith. The belief that God is good. He's good. And he's not just good some of the time. He's good all the time. All the time. 
is good. That God is willing to heal. He's willing. It is his will that God is able to heal. And uh, when these things happen and they begin to root away, there's some cracks in the foundation that, that really affect us in the long run, that really challenge us when we read Scripture and we hear the testimony of what the Word of God has to say about things. It really challenges us deep in our core and our soul because there's just so many things that have happened. We just we wonder why, and, and uh, it affects us. And sometimes God has got to heal us on the inside just as much as he needs to heal us on the outside, you know? Sometimes we can have problems on the inside. I think this is when we see in in Romans, it says the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, but about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, right? The kingdom of God. What is righteousness? It's being in a right place with God. It's being a right standing with God. Having his righteousness, we stand before God uh, innocent. The kingdom of God is about righteousness. It's about making us right with God. The kingdom of God is about peace. What is peace? Peace has to do with the inner part of who we are. Right? That, that raging turmoil, that unforgiveness, that bitterness, that hurt, that pain on the inside will rob us of our peace and the kingdom of God is about peace. God wants to heal us on the inside. And the kingdom of God is about joy. About joy. You know, there's nothing more that can rob you of your joy than dealing with problems on the outside, right? Those problems could be related to sickness. They could be relational problems. They could be... Uh, financial problems, but dealing with those problems on the outside can rob us of our joy sometimes if we're not careful. See, God deals with the whole part of man. He wants us to make us right with God. He wants to speak peace on the inside of us, and he wants to make us whole on the outside. He wants to make us whole. He wants to make you whole. Will you stand to your feet this morning?